Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Uh, so the, the conflicts, and as I say, they're healthy conflicts, it's disagreements, tend to be over what is the, the most effective utilisation of resources and how do we make sure that we're, we're delivering cricket as efficiently as possible without duplication. So that's where you, know, you can get disagreements. And that was Lee Jamon, former New Zealand skipper and now CEO of Cricket New South Wales, talking about their relationship with Cricket Australia. Hi everyone, Menas here and what a week I've had. I was so privileged to be invited into the brand new Cricket Central facility that has been built by Cricket New South Wales. They have spent $60 million on a facility that is not only for its elite cricketers but also for the broader cricket community. In this special episode, we'll take you behind the scenes and find out what makes Cricket New South Wales tick what makes it one of the most successful cricket organisations in the world? I am joined by Lee Jamon, former New Zealand skipper and now CEO of Cricket New South Wales. I'm also joined by head of male cricket, Michael Klinger, former Big Bash star. And then I'm joined by two current WBBL players, Jade Allen from the Sydney Sixers, who is just 18 years old. And triple WBBL winner, Sammy Joe Johnson, who won her third title with the Thunder two seasons ago. And then to wrap it up, I'm joined by the head of female cricket, Leah Poulton, who is also Rachel Haynes' partner. So stay tuned for this thrilling episode. I hope you enjoy it. 
I'm here in Cricket Central in Silverwater in Sydney and I'm with the CEO of Cricket New South Wales, former New Zealand skipper Lee Jamon. Lee, welcome to the show. I won't mention the recent 3-0 drubbing of New Zealand in, in the one-day series. How are you? I think you did just mention it. Uh, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, that was a shame. Um, but of course, I've got a, a boot in both camps at the moment. So I was a winner either way, I think. I think New Zealand will be looking at that thinking, you know, the, those conditions were probably more suited to the New Zealand team than the Australian side. So they'll be disappointed they didn't at least get one game. But yeah, absolutely. Great, great for the Australians to see uh, Finch out. Yeah, I enjoyed the winter cricket, that's for sure. So, so we're in here in this brand new facility in Silverwater. It's a $60 million cricket centre, as you well know. It's, it's touted as being the best of its kind in the world. What do you think sort of sets it apart? What are some of the things that makes this so um, great for the cricketers in the community? I think it's really the, the total mix of what this facility brings for us as a sport. So you'll go into a number of other facilities around the world which will probably be focused on high performance solely. There'll be some great uh, community facilities as well. What Cricket Central does is that it brings it all together. So as well, and this was always the vision for Cricket Central, was that it would be the connection between our professional athletes and our community cricket. And I think this is what it does. It's got an ICC compliant oval. It's got our high performance training facilities right alongside our community training facilities. And we've got our staff and our guests and visitors able to come here as well. So it's a wonderful high performance training facility, but it's more than that. It's a connector between our community and our high performance as well. Yeah, and what's the purpose of the connection? Like, what are you trying to gain through bringing them closer together? It's all aligned, really, our purpose as an organisation, which is to inspire everyone to play and love our sport, play and love cricket. You know, we're, we're well aware of the impact that our high-performing athletes have on the youngsters coming through and playing. I remember as a, a young boy, you know, watching my heroes play, and uh, I just wished that I'd been able to train alongside them and see more of them. And that is what this facility does. So, you know, where our uh, where Mitchell Stark and Steve Smith will sit down and train and walk out onto the main ground, that's where our pathway cricketers will also be able to sit down and train and walk out onto the ground as well. They'll be training in the nets alongside often. They'll see Mitchell Stark and Harry Papiers and Steve Smith. Uh, so what it will do, we believe, is that inspire not only our players, but those who want to be involved in cricket as well. You know, one of the, the really proud things about this facility is, is the fact that our rooms are all named after volunteers, which is quite unusual. Mm. And I think that's just another way of us connecting our community and our volunteers with the high-performance part of our sport. Yeah, and do you think the the sort of the, the grade clubs and the premier cricket clubs are really going to benefit from the extra facilities available? I'm sure they will. Already seen uh, teams like Mossman uh, training here regularly. Um, Champions. Yeah, it's open to premier grade uh, cricketers. Uh, we hope to have premier grade cricket out in, in the middle here, in the oval as well. Uh, you know, uh, the stage two is planned to have lights, which will open up even more accessibility from a playing perspective for both female and male Premier Cricket to be played here. So I see that real connection as well. And broadly speaking, you know, how does this sort of fit in for the vision of New South Wales cricket? I mean, you know, this centre is, is you know, been built for a few years now. I mean, it must be a real home now. Like, you haven't had that for a while. We've never really had a home. Yeah, even when, when I arrived at Cricket New South Wales, which was 
just over five years ago. Uh, we were based pretty much at the ECG, or alongside the ECG in Moore Park there, and we had indoor lanes, we had some offices, but we didn't have a ground, I mean the ECG, but we weren't able to go onto that ground every day. Uh, so here we have what is really a home and a connector for the whole cricket community. Three weeks ago, Mitchell Stark and Nathan Lyon were having lunch up here, our staff were having lunch and the tables alongside. And you can't recreate that, you know, it, it's very difficult to to have that type of feeling. So yes, this this bu- it's a building, but it's more than that. It's a soul for our sport and a way of joining people together that we've never had before. And um, yeah, we're just very thankful to be here. Oh, congratulations! Um, I know a lot of people have worked really hard to get to this point, so it must be you know really satisfying for New South Wales cricket to finally be here. It, it's very satisfying. You know, we, we have a vision to be regarded as a world class organisation and. For me, that word regarded is really important. So that's not for us to say that we are world-class, it's for others to regard us as world-class. And that comes down to how we go about our business, how we present our people, our players, and this creates a world-class facility and an opportunity to partner with other world-class organisations as well. You know, you said you uh, came to New South Wales Cricket five years ago, I think you started with the Thunder and then moved into your current role. What does sort of New South Wales Cricket mean to you because as a New South Welshman myself you grow up and you think kind of the centre of the cricket world is in New South Wales you hear these names Bradman, Benno, the War Brothers and McGrath and you think it all happens here but you know coming from New Zealand what was it like to come into New South Wales cricket? Oh that was a, a key uh, attraction for me was the the legacy of success the history of cricket New South Wales combined with at that time coming into a thunder role and the excitement of Big Bash and what I had seen that had done for the sport from sitting across the ditch across the Tasman but for me uh, cricket New South Wales is you know very highly regarded in the cricket world recently I was in the UK and the United States and it is highly regarded you know, Cricket New South Wales is an understanding of the, the history, the players, both male and female, that have come through the system, uh, the success that Cricket New South Wales or New South Wales has had in terms of winning titles. Um, and for me, being a, you know, a largely purist of the game and reading a lot about the game, that was a huge attraction for me to come initially into Cricket New South Wales in the Thunder role and then to, to have the privilege of being in the role I am now and know what it means to people to, to put the baggy blue on. Yeah, in my case, I come from Canterbury, New Zealand. We've got the red and black, the, like the Crusaders mm. colours. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing, but Cricket New South Wales has a lot more success and a lot more history than we do. And so it's been a real privilege to be able to spend time with members of the Baggy Blues, the past players, understand what it means for them, both male and female. The female version is the Waratahs. Uh, so for me, it's about you know, um, respecting our past celebrating our past but really driving the future for cricket New South Wales as well. Yeah, do you, do you believe that when New South Wales cricket is strong, Australian cricket is strong? I think that's been proven to be correct. Uh, but I don't think it's for us to shout that from the rooftops. Yeah, it's for us to just illustrate that on the mm. field. And we're doing that at the moment. We still supply around about 40% of all first-class cricketers. Um, you know, at the moment, half of the Australian one-day side is from New South Wales. And I think that's something to be very proud of, but not to rest on our laurel. Uh, so I think there's a real, there is a, a truth to that, that when cricket New South Wales is strong, Australian cricket is strong. I'm amazed at how many cricketers come from New South Wales. Whenever I'm researching it, the other state teams, or I was looking at uh, Michael Hogan, who's he's got almost 700 first-class wickets playing in the UK. He's from Newcastle, another New South Welshman. It, it is amazing, and, and you go through the team lists, and um, many have come through the New South Wales pathways. And I think that's really testament to those that have come before me and, and the rest of the staff here in terms of the quality of cricketers that have been produced 
but not only cricket New South Wales, they, those cricketers all start on the on the paddocks and the grounds of the volunteers, mm. right? So, yeah, they, they were throwing thousands and thousands of balls by volunteers throughout our whole state, and the region regional New South Wales is vital to that. Yeah, you, know, you go out to Dubbo and Orange and Tamworth and Albury and Newcastle and all these exactly. places. They've produced wonderful cricketers that have all started by having balls thrown at them by volunteers. Yeah, now they're playing for Tasmania or South Australia or something. <laughs> That's right. Just on your sort of journey, uh, when I was reading, you know, your bi- biography, and you've always been a natural leader. You were you were thrust into leadership positions at Canterbury. Then you were given the New Zealand captaincy you know, early on in your international career. Now you're a respected administrator. Where does that? element of your personality come from is it something your parents instilled in you is it something you grew up and you were always a leader where does it come from oh, I, I don't know really yeah you know, I, I I captained a lot of sides when I was young um, and I think mainly that was just because I was, I was quite a student of the game you know, I read a lot of books and so um, understood the game and I think you know when you're young they tend to choose the captains that might know about the game <laughs> you know, so you know where the fielding positions mm. are rather than know how to lead people um, and then I, it's just evolved you know I, I often tell the story that I was appointed as a young captain to Canterbury, the first class side, when I was maybe 19, maybe 20. And I did a really poor job in my first three to four years of leading that side. And that's because I didn't know how to lead myself and I couldn't lead others. So, yeah, I don't... No, I'm not a, not a born leader. It's not natural. I think you learn through your experiences. And I'm just fortunate that I've been able to learn off some great people in terms of, you know, being authentic and being yourself and that, that type of thing. So... I'm just lucky to have been in these types of roles, I think. And do you have a philosophy to leadership? You know, do you like to inspire? You, do you see yourself as a ship captain steering thing? What's, what's your approach? Uh, my, my purpose around leadership is really to try and take people where they haven't been before and develop traits and skills in them that they don't have now. So yeah, I'm very, very focused on caring for the people that I'm leading, really understanding where they're coming from, what they're trying to achieve. And I get a lot of satisfaction from um, people achieving and collective achievement as well so that, that's really what drives me it's a real mix I think between you know wanting to see people really achieve from an organizational perspective not being not being complacent always striving to be better than we've been before it's a great philosophy and I guess if you're helping your staff and your the people that you're leading improve and work on areas then the whole organization's moving forward absolutely and there are much smarter more intelligent people than me in this organisation and I'm just so lucky to be here because you know people know so much about uh, whether it's cricket whether it's elements of business uh, and I'm just lucky enough to be able to sit around a table and hear them talk about it so very lucky. How, how does the relationship between Cricket New South Wales and Cricket Australia work? So Cricket Australia is our parent body if you like we meet regularly so you know uh, Nick Hockley who's the CEO of Cricket Australia and I meet monthly we have monthly catch-ups to share what's going on at Cricket New South Wales what's going on in Cricket Australia uh, we have an Australian cricket leadership team as well which is made up of the CEOs of the states and the territories so there's eight of those as well as Nick Hockley and members of his senior team um, that team is really put together to to look strategically at where the game is going collectively and then understanding what's the role and responsibility of the states and Cricket Australia. So Cricket Australia's role is very much to you know, centralise what makes sense from a business perspective. They've got a, a combination of um, developing national teams who we are very proud of um, and then a, a support mechanism in terms of community cricket, understanding that states really have that customer relationship with our community cricketers, you know, day in, day out, we're the ones doing that. So, you know, ideally you work together to the betterment of the sport. Cricket Australia has recently released their strategic plan 
our strategic plan, which is a couple of years old, aligns really strongly with that. So we have these shared goals and then we go about how do we achieve that. So does that come without any conflict? No, because you know I, my role is to fight for cricket New South Wales and what's best for us at times. And Cricket Australia is trying to look holistically across the broad spectrum of cricket as well. So yeah, there's healthy debate. There's, um, I think, very healthy conflict at times. Uh, but overall, we're, we're heading in the same direction. And what are those conflicts over? Like what sort of things? Oh, they tend to be over normally around you know, resource allocation. So I've been CEO in, in the sports world now for 15 plus years through rugby, football and cricket. And those conversations are all the same. Yeah, normally when, with the parent body, it's about... Yeah, we'd like more resources, we'd like more money to be able to do what we want to do. The parent body is saying, yes, I understand that, but we've also got commitments over here. Uh, so the, the conflicts, and as I say, they're healthy conflicts, it's disagreements, tend to be over what is the, the most effective utilisation of resources and how do we make sure that we're, we're delivering cricket as efficiently as possible without duplication. So that's where you, know, you can get disagreements. Uh, but as I say, they tend to be resolved in the for the betterment of the sport. I, I thought last year was a, an interesting example of where the self-interest of the state bodies did harm the future of cricket. So you look at when Steve Smith was not allowed to play for the Sixers and the state CEOs voted say no. And I'm sure you voted for him to play because you were <laughs> the New South Wales... Not all the state CEOs. Yeah, so no, so, but the other state CEOs didn't allow him to play. And to me, that allowed sort of self-interest to actually affect the future of cricket because even now the press is still talking about it. So, so how does cricket deal with a problem like that in the future? Yeah, it's, it's a really good example because that's an example of when... Yeah, I, I would have wanted Cricket Australia to come in and say, look, I understand yeah, the position of the state. However, for the good of cricket, we think Steve Smith should play, therefore we're going to allow it. Now, um, Cricket Australia didn't do that, and they said, well, we're going to listen to the states. And, but it's a good example of where the self-interest can sometimes take over from what is for the good of the game. Mm. The way to get around that is actually to, and we've done this, is to review that decision and say, look, in, in that point in time, yeah, that, that wasn't the right decision to make. How can we make sure that those decisions are made with a view of what's good for cricket moving forward? They were interesting times because the rules had changed within BBL, I think, three weeks earlier. The current rules would have allowed Steve Smith to play. There were unintended consequences of those rules that no one foresaw, of course, but we still weren't flexible enough and willing enough to change. And I think that was a good learning exercise for all of us. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating as a fan mm, who loves watching absolutely. Smith play. And I think, yeah, I mean, they're still talking about it. So um, I just hope in the future we can, everyone can pull together because the Big Bash needs it, doesn't it? Needs every bit of help it can get. It sure does. And we need to be able to get our best Australian players playing Big Bash, no matter what it takes. All right, last question then for you, Lee. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, Talking about the Big Bash, there is sort of a discussion around private ownership of Big Bash clubs. I mean, what would that mean for New South Wales cricket? What would be the effect of that? Well, the first point is that we can't sell the clubs. The CA own the clubs. Uh, We have licences to operate, in our case, the Sydney Thunder and the Sydney Sixers. Um, Private equity is a, a sort of a subject that's been probably on the radar for 12 months now we've seen a lot of other sports and codes and leagues and teams uh, enter into the private equity or private ownership uh, world. New Zealand rugby being a most recent example of that. What it would mean is that there are, there are sort of three areas I think that private investment, if it was chosen to be bought on board, would come into the game in Australia. One would be at the Cricket Australia level, which is the New Zealand rugby model where you actually buy a part of the organisation. The second one is around the league. Itself, So you could have an investor that comes in and says, I'll take minority or majority holding of the league. Third one is around teams. 
in our case, I think it's very unlikely that a private equity company would come in and take ownership of the big bash clubs because the scale isn't there. But it is likely that an IPL owner, for example, would want to pick up the Thunder or the Sixers and add to their stable of teams. The reason you would look at private equity or private investment is if you believe you've got a gap in capital funding moving forward, and so you need more money to either you know, sustain your business, grow your business, pay your players, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Keep up with the market. Exactly. And it's a hugely changing market at the moment, as we've seen. Yeah, we're on the precipice of major change in world cricket. But then you work out, okay, if you don't need that private capital, you're probably best to stay away from it. If you do need it, how do you go about it? For us, in terms of ownership with a club, you'd look at who that partner was, what's their motivation, is it a minority or a majority shareholding or holding, and then you'd make a, a decision based on the deal that's in front of you. So Cricket New South Wales is on record as saying that we believe it should be seriously looked at, private equity. doesn't mean it's a panacea for our financial problems moving forward, but it should be looked at. Otherwise, we do run the risk of being left behind in an ever-changing world of cricket. Mm, you say like cricket's changing. I feel like this latest Future Tours program that was released on an international level is actually a big change. And, and you know, you can see like... People 10 years ago were saying, you know, there'll be changes through the growth of T20 cricket. Well, I think you can really see it now. The combination of an expanded Future Tours program and I think 12 months' time we'll have nine T20 leagues operating around the world, probably more than half of which will have IPL involvement. That combination is, is, a, um, is a volatile mix <laughs> and I don't think sustainable. So for us, it's understanding where does Cricket New South Wales fit in that? Where does Cricket Australia fit in that? Where do our players fit in that? And, and that's something that we're very acutely aware of at the moment because we want to ensure that we're around the table when these sorts of decisions are made. Um, and as, a, as you say, the future's changing very quickly. The best way to predict it is to create it in some cases. So how do we actually get in alongside the decision makers to ensure that Cricket New South Wales is well looked after into the future? Yeah, here, here. Uh, all right, Lee, well, thank you so much, Um just before you go, just I got two, one great memory of you as a player. I was up late at night watching the 1996 World Cup quarterfinal, and I'm thinking, we're going to towel up the Kiwis here, no problem. <laughs> and then one Lee Jamon and Chris Harris put on this huge partnership and set Australia almost 280, I think, and then Mark Wall ran it down with 100. But um, a brilliant innings. I think it's got 89 or something. Um, you know, do, any memories of that game? Yeah, lots of memories. It's uh Sorry yeah. to bring up the loss. No, no, that's okay. Because I remember going into that game and we were down some bowlers. Danny Morrison and Gavin Larson were injured. And our team meeting the night before, we said, look, you know, we're a bit, bit down on bowlers. We actually need to score 300 against a very good Australian side to give ourselves a chance. We identified Shane Warne as a major problem for us. And so we put left-handers up the top of the order. You may remember either Stephen Fleming, Chris Harris, Roger Toos was mm. another guy uh, who went up in the top five or six um, with the intention of trying to take Shane Warne on and hit him to the leg side boundaries, left-handers. So we ended up getting 280. Chris Harris batted the... I played a lot of cricket with Chris Harris through underage at Canterbury, in the Canterbury setup, and then with New Zealand, and that's the best I've seen him bat. He batted brilliantly. He got hit early on by McGrath, Glenn McGrath, in the head, and that just spurred him into action. And he ended up scoring 130, I think, Harry. Um, and I just went along right. for the ride. Yeah, he, he played brilliantly. Um, it was 80... It was 80 uh, it was about 40 degree heat, you know, humidity was about 80%, it was a tough, tough um, gig. And I remember thinking at 280, we were in the game. But then of course, Mark War. I think Steve War got 50 not out as well. Shane Warne got promoted up the order to 3 or 4 and we dropped him at square leg early, uh, which counted against us. Um, he, he was like a pinch hitter, wasn't he? He'd yeah, exactly. 20 or 30 yeah, odd. Yeah, and, and it sort of just shifted the momentum. And then the War brothers just played 
brilliantly and, and we weren't good enough on, on the day. Um, but that, that's my memory of that, that game. The other thing, I, I know we ran out of time, no, was that you know, Mark Taylor was, was the opposition captain. And now I have a bit to do with Mark here. Obviously, he's a former board member of Cricket New South Wales and, and he tells me the story previously. He said, look, at the team meeting the night before, we went through your side, the New Zealand side. We spoke about the players. There were two players we didn't talk about from a batting perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I knew where this was going. And I said, oh, who are they? He said, well, Chris Harris was one and you were the other. <laughs> he said. So they obviously didn't rate myself um, moving into that game. Uh, but we gave we gave the Australians a bit of a ski. It was a fantastic it game. It was. Uh, it was yeah. a thriller. I was up till three in the morning watching it. I was thinking, <laughs> are we ever going to get Jamon and Harris out? What's going on here? It was a good good Australian side though. You know that that we played against and, and fantastic to to put our you know skills against them. Mm, fantastic. And and last bit of I couldn't believe this when I was researching. You must do. Do you ever run into Bert Vance around and <laughs> and and buy him a, a beer? Because you hit seventy runs off one first class over. He conceded seventy seven runs in a first class over of five deliveries. Bo- bowling deliberate no balls. Okay. Yeah. So once again, uh, the situation was he was playing for Wellington. I was playing for Canterbury. Wellington needed to beat us to get the title. I was batting with a, a tail ender at the other end and we were sort of holding on for dear life and we'd stayed around for a while. And Wellington decided that they wanted to get us closer to the target so we might have a go for it rather than just defend. But they didn't want to use up any overs. So a guy called Irvin McSweeney was the captain. He played a couple of one-day internationals. Bruce Edgar was on the field as well. Yep. You know, Bruce. Um, and they bowled deliberate no balls and just bowled lollipops. And I remember I hit the first few over the boundary because they just, you know, it's like lobbing up. Yeah, full tosses. Yeah. And Roger Ford was a tail end at the other end and he came down and said, oh, can I have a go? Yeah, give me a go. go at this. <laughs> so we, I ran one the next one. He had a go. He got caught twice off no balls. Yeah, and then we swapped ends again. So it, it sort of played out. It was in Wisdom for a very short period of time. Then it got deleted. And fair enough too because it was yeah, totally against the spirit of the game. And now if I was to transport myself back to that time, I think I'd probably walk off. I think I'd probably retire myself mm. and let someone else go on. In the middle of it, I thought, oh, this is quite good. Yeah, but it was, in the end, not the right thing, not the right way to go about it. Sounds a bit farcical. It was. So the absolutely. record doesn't stand. It's not an official record. No. And, it's been struck and right, off. And rightfully so. <laughs> well, Lee, thank you so much for coming on Cricket Unfiltered. Good luck with season 22-23 and all the developments in New South Wales cricket. No, it's great to have you here in our, our new home, and thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you. All right, I'm here at Cricket New South Wales. I'm now with the head of male cricket, Michael Klinger. Michael, welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. You came up to New South Wales from the Renegades. How are you going up here? Yeah, loving it. Uh, it's been 20 months uh, since I started the role. It's a lot has packed into those 20 months. We went, we navigated our way through COVID. We had a, a four to five month lockdown. You know, the, it's been a, a busy period. We had a a couple of BBLs that, that's been um, different to, to previous BBLs with, um, you know, with certain COVID rules and, and, and lockdowns, but we've been able to navigate our way through it. And, and I think um, it's been a productive couple of years, but a lot of work to do from here on in. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's a huge role being in charge of head of male cricket in New South Wales. I, I know you spent a lot of time playing domestic cricket, so you know it inside out. You know, you really passionate about domestic cricket. I am, yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's a breeding ground of our um, international game and, and to be able to 
help develop and help produce Australian players. There's certainly some pride within the States to also win competition. So the combination of those two is, is really important, I think, for uh, Australian cricket going forward. There's going to be some challenges, no doubt, over the next few years uh, with these T20 leagues popping up around the world and, and what that may mean to players, coaches, administrators and, and where their priorities may lie. So that's going to be really important, I think, for everyone in Australian cricket to make sure we keep our best players, coaches, administrators within world work, continue working within Australian cricket. Do you think the growth of T20 leagues is going to, I don't know, change or alter the way we look at contracting players? Yeah, I think it could down the track. Uh, I think everyone's keeping an eye on this new MOU coming up between the ACA and Cricket Australia to see if the if the players look to make any tweaks to that and, and how that may affect you know contracts in the future. The potential around the NOCs and, and letting players play in other leagues and as long as there's no conflict to competitions within Australia, I think even when players re- retire, I think they'll be looking to, to do that, which is fair enough. Like they need to be able to go and, and freely play in, in these competitions as long as they're not obviously um, in conflict with the Australian cricket, cricket competition we're trying to promote as well. Yeah, because I think the pathways to the test side haven't changed too much. It's still best get a contract, develop your game, play, shield cricket. But we've seen recently, we say Tim David, you know, there are different ways now of launching a white ball career where it might not be in the state system. Yeah, I can see that happening more and more going forward. You know, if players decide to, to go that alternative route and play some franchise or club cricket around the world, I think there would have been quite a few players watching intently on that uh, selection with Tim David because... You know, if he wasn't selected and they came out because he's not playing enough Australian domestic cricket, then it sort of sets a tone. But the fact that he's now been selected from outside that process or those competitions as such, now it does open the door for players to move. So it'll be interesting to see what players do going forward. I hope it doesn't lead to players not taking domestic contracts with you know New South Wales or another state to, to go do that. So I think by doing that, you're really only sort of putting your hand up for one form out of the game. If you're, if you're contracted to New South Wales or Victoria, etc., then you're really keeping yourself open to play all three formats for Australia, not just T20 cricket. And you're also kind of laying the foundations in your game, aren't you, when you're part of a system and you're training all the time. You know, you're developing your game. Yeah, and you've got to remember Tim David did that in WA. So towards the back end of my career, he was coming through WA teams and, and playing for Western Australia and playing for the Perth Scorchers as an uncontracted player or being involved in in training and and practice matches and all that as well so he still had a pretty strong foundation of of working through premier cricket working through um the state system but got to a point where he was good enough to to maybe go down the franchise route it all happened really quickly for him so it'll be interesting going forward if any other players go down that route as well was he a big hitter back then he was. I remember his debut game. I was, was batting at the other end to him and he, he took the pressure off me a little bit. Uh, he came in and, and, and whacked a few and, and helped us get out of the line. You look to really um, enjoy the last part of your domestic career, you know, a little T20 renaissance toward the en- towards the end there, so to speak. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I was very lucky to play uh, my last five years at the Perth Scorchers in some really successful teams. So, you know, when, you, when you're playing in good teams and you're winning, it, all, it always helps, but... You know, I had a, a great coach and, and system who who sort of backed me into play up top as an opener and uh, amongst some very good players. So um, the the great part of that unit at the Perth Scorchers was there wasn't sort of one or two standout players. Everyone chipped in and, and did enough to help you win enough games to to make finals and, and win win a final. And it was a, it was a good 
franchise and club to be part of. Was Cameron Green playing back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His debut game, I remember it clearly. He he had the Tasmanian batters in in a bit of trouble. I remember George Bailey actually, who's, who's now current national select or head selector, and he faced him, came out, and he sort of turned around after he faced his first five balls and said, "Where do you get guys keep finding these six foot six guys from?" <laughs> and, um, but he, yeah, you could see his talent straight away, and he had a few injury issues, but. He's come out the other side of it and he's, he's got a, a long-term future for uh, in international cricket and whatever else he decides to do. So, so what about the New South Wales men's team? They've been kind of in a rebu- rebuilding phase for the last couple of years. And, you know, I commentate a lot of, on a lot of The Shield. And I guess when I'm not seeing some of the batters really kick on in terms of output in the last two years. I just wonder, you know, what your view is of the, the transition period. Yeah, if you look at, I like to split the format, so it's it's hard to sort of combine in one. But if you, let's say you look at Sheffield Shield, so three years ago when there wasn't a final because of COVID, New South Wales won the Sheffield Shield. Um, we lost the the year I, I got involved in January, and that end of March we lost against Queen Queensland. Yep, up in Queensland, and then last year we missed out going to the last game. So uh, we've been there and thereabouts, um, obviously over the last few years. But in terms of individuals. It's been a tough one to judge, I have to be honest. Last, Especially the year before last when you didn't play as many games as you normally would. At the start of a season, we weren't sure when the season was going to start last year and it kept getting delayed and delayed. So this season's a big one for a lot of those players. There's no doubt about that. I think there's been some players who've been in the system for a while now that uh, certainly have the ability to, to really take the game to the next step. So uh, we saw Jason Sanger, for example, last year. Had a slow first half of the season, but really showed the type of player he is from the BBL onwards and finished off the Shield season really well too. So there's a few guys in that Blues team who I think have the certainly the ability, but I think mental strength as well now going forward to really make a mark this season. That short stint Jason Sanger had, I think leading the Thunder, seemed to really do well for him. His output in the Big Bash improved and then, as you say, finished the season really strongly. He's someone I think we should be keeping an eye on. Yeah, and he, I mean, his leadership um, is something we're looking to continue to develop. We're actually sending him and, and a couple of the Breakers players, Hannah Darlington and, and Lauren Cheadle, up to a National Leadership Forum in Canberra this weekend, Thursday to Sunday, to work with some of the best leaders and athletes from, from around uh, New South Wales and Australia as well. So that's really exciting. So we're looking to develop his leadership going forward. He may have opportunities again with the Thunder this year or you know with the Blues going forward down the track. So... The best thing about what you mentioned with the Thunder is when he did get the leadership, his form actually got even better. So he was playing well before that. So we certainly know that the leadership sits well with him and doesn't put more pressure on him in terms of his own performance. So that's a good sign going forward as well. And how is the strength of New South Wales batting just generally? Like, you know, you're seeing a lot of talented youngsters come through? Yeah, certainly seeing a lot of talented youngsters. I suppose the the next challenge is to turn that talent into, you know, long-term long-term successful results as well so guys who come out and can churn out you know 800 plus runs 900 plus run seasons again and again and I think that's how we're going to get the new generation of players to to play for Australia at the moment we have regularly sort of six or seven selected out of a squad of 15 normally there will be a stage where all those players decide to retire uh, and finish up playing. So we need to make sure that we have the next lot of players coming through who will take those guys' spots and, and, and play for Australia going forward as well. So there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes on, on all the you know the key characteristics we feel that make up a long-term successful international cricketer. And, and we're working on that, hopefully make them have long careers going forward. 
Absolutely. We lost Peter Neville. He retired at the end of last season, a great uh, servant of New South Wales cricket. Have you announced the new skipper yet? Curtis Patterson. Curtis Patterson came in last year. Nev played his, his last scene last season, not as captain. And oh. then uh, Curtis came in last season. He'll continue this year. So, he again, he's come in and, and really had a big impact with his leadership straight away after, after one year. He's another one, I think, you know, you're talking about batting performances. He'd be looking to really build on some good performances last year without being really consistent right through. It wasn't long ago where he played for Australia and made 100 on, on debut. So for, uh, I know Curtis has been working really hard and I think we're going to see a big season from him as, him as well. Yeah, we saw him be a little bit more aggressive at points last season and I think it was pretty good. Like when he was playing for the Scorchers, your old team, he was smashing them all over the place. Yeah, he was. And even when he got his he got 100 in shield cricket and he, he got it just under a run of ball. So... I think it's a, it's certainly a, a way that, that works for him when he plays with some really positive intent. It also helps him defend and leave better when he's got that sort of attitude about him. So he's already shown that he's led the team really well and now I've got no doubt this year he'll back that up with some a really solid season. I love seeing Curtis do well. He was the first ever guest on this podcast, so uh, it's great to see him do well. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Best of luck with season 22-23. I hope the Blues do really well. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you very much. Ta. All right, I'm in that Cricket Central in Silverwater and, and I'm joined by two of the Breakers squad members and we've got two different Big Bash representatives here. So we've got Sammy Joe Johnson from the Sydney Thunder. Sammy Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Making your debut on Cricket Unfiltered and Jade Allen, leg spinner, up and coming leggy for the Sydney Sixers. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Jade, how old are you? 18. Wow. Have you ever been on a podcast before? Certainly not, no. Oh, so this is your first ever podcast. I'm sure you've been on a few, Sammy. Lucky enough to have a couple, so no, enjoy them. So I just read that there's um, been a fund set up by um, Cricket New South Wales to help players like yourself that are moving from the country into the city. Where, where are you from? Uh, well, I'm from Cabago, which is six hours south, close to Bega. Yep. Um, many people know that, but... Yeah, no, the Breakers Fund, I think we got, me and Litch, Phoebe Litchfield got five five grand each to for rent and stuff. Um, yeah, just to help us out. Yeah, that's like one week in Sydney, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> Dearest place in the world to live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Phoebe's been, in, been on this podcast as well, so it's great that you're getting that support. I guess, Sammy Joe, you know, someone that's been in cricket for so long, what's it like when you came to this brand new facility for the first time? Pretty eye-opening experience and uh, to think the the next generation are going to have this as their home for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I'm a little bit jealous actually. I wish I had something like this when I was 18. Uh, but we're very lucky. Like this is a world-class facility and uh, super grateful to have it as our home. Yeah. And do you think it's going to actually make a difference to your performances? Oh, it has to. Like we, we've got such a, uh, a strong New South Wales squads, men's, women pathway, um, but this is only going to enhance that. And, and Sammy, with the breakers being in kind of a bit of a transition, how much of that do you feel is your responsibility to help the young players develop? Yeah, I, I take a lot of that on my shoulders. Um, as a senior player, I want to try and guide this team to learn through tough moments uh, and enjoy the good moments. Uh, we've had that over the last couple of years. We've been so close, um, but sort of stumbled over some hurdles along the way. So I think we're going to be better for those experiences. 
I mean, it's a really young team. I mean, Jade here, but there's so many players around 18, 19 that are still learning their game. I mean, once you just sort of get that experience, this team could go anywhere. Oh, 100%. And we've got such a an amazing record as the Breakers group, what, 21 out of, what, 26 mm, yeah. years that this team's won. So winning's in the blood. Uh, and I think the last couple of years where we've just tripped over at the end, we're going to be better for those experiences and I hope that this year's the, the turning point. And what's it like for both of you then? You know, you've got this enormous shadow of the success of the breakers in the past and then, you know, you don't make the final a couple of years. Like, how does the, the group react to that? Um, well, for me, I guess I've only been around like one year. We played last year. Um, I think my first year... Yeah, it was certainly eye-opening um, coming from Pathways, but I guess like the the nature around the group and the I guess the morale is still kind of high, I think, um, which maybe Sammy could relate to. But yeah, I guess that's yeah, good. Still was, happy. Yeah. It hurts. <laughs> you mm. you want to be successful. You want to win tournaments. Um, and this group has tasted success so many times. So I think, like I said, to trip over at the at the end of the summer, um, we've always started the seasons quite well the last couple of years. It's just been trying to find that form at the back end of the tournament to get us into that final. We just haven't quite done it in those big moments. But like I said, the girls will learn from those experiences. You have to to fail to then learn to be better. So I think we've done that. Um, we've had another great preseason, uh, and only see the girls going from strength to th- strength to strength. And I guess it's in a way it's a good sign for women's cricket that the other states are starting to challenge New South Wales a bit more and kind of you know shift the the dominance a little bit away from um, New South Wales. I think they're very similar. Like they've had some girls that have been in their programs, all of the other states that have been in there a few years now. Um, the improvement in facilities. Uh, contracts getting you know a bit more money a bit more time actually training and preparing that's changed the the dynamic because a lot of states probably didn't have the money or the facilities to do that and they now are up they're upping their game so they're getting more and more people uh you know training at that higher level so then they're able to put the performances on the board Mm, because i think it was the last mou where all the women's cricketers went professional but before that new south wales had been almost professional so you got a bit of a jump on them they're catching up now. Yeah. So we've got to be on our toes and not exactly. let them catch up to us anymore. Exactly. Um, Jade, tell me, what was it like when you found out you'd been awarded a contract by Cricket New South Wales? Yeah, it was like certainly like I was ecstatic. Um, I think I got my um, – I think Leah rang my dad and he kind of told me when I got back from school, I think, or I might have a message um, sent to me while I was like on lunch break or something and I was I was over the moon. I was just so happy. Um yeah, and just coming to this facility, I mean, it's pretty good. When my like first coming into, I guess like semi-professional, um, like cricket, I guess, um, and having this facility, um, right from the start is, I think it'll be really, um, yeah, it'll give, give me a great opportunity. You're really lucky, aren't you? Yeah. Um, when I was commentating on some regional cricket a couple of years ago at North Sydney Oval, you know, there was a varying standard of players. And then this young leg spinner came on and all of a sudden you could see the ball fizz and it, it, it had the beautiful shape where it drifted in and spun away. And I was like, who's this leg spinner? And it was Jade Allen. So um, I've been, you know, so impressed with your bowling ever since I first saw you. When Who, who taught you leg spin? Um, I think... I certainly wanted to bowl leg spin because of my brother, I guess. Um, he's a leg spinner? He's a leg spinner. Um, certainly not. Like, he's pretty good, but... Um, he doesn't yeah. have a New South Wales contract, does he? <laughs> I know, but, um, yeah, I, I think my brother, that. yeah. And then training with ACT, as I was also playing regional bash with them. Um, yeah, a few of the coaches around there just, 
um, yeah, really encouraging me to keep bowling leg spin and, yeah, just coaches from breakers, Mark McGuinness, um, doing pathways work with him. Yeah, it's just really boosted my bowling, I guess. Yeah, and when you started bowling leg spin, did anyone warn you, like, you, you're taking on the hardest craft <laughs> in cricket? Um, not really. Like, I guess you like the rewards are like a really good I guess like some days you can get smashed around the park but others you'd get fire for and just you know just take the game away from the other opposition so yeah huge opportunity for you now with the growth of t20 cricket and leg spinners are doing so well (laughs) yeah you could play all around the world (laughs) yeah leg spinners certainly a harder craft but yeah it's really inspiring like the rewards yeah do you see alana king taking a hat trick (laughs) in the hundred she's yeah something else (laughs) yeah exactly so sammy what do you think are some of the issues in women's cricket that you'd like to see addressed I think we're uh, one step closer to that. We're playing more games of cricket this year. Our full home and away series is going to be massive for the girls. Like to train all year and only play six games in the past, like it's six games of cricket. It's not enough. Uh, no. So to get full home and away this summer, I think is going to be a, a big step in the right direction. We've got semi-professional contracts and world-class facilities. You're only going to see better and better uh, cricket every year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the WNC are moving to home and away is going to be fantastic. Massive opportunity for girls to just get on the park and play cricket because mm. you're only going to get better by playing and being in tough situations and experiencing that and, and learning along the way. Yeah, and there's a little tournament sort of just coming up in a, well, probably not that far away, a month or so. We've got the WBBL. You two must be very excited. Yeah, obviously, first and foremost, break is first. Uh, we've got four big games leading into Big Bash, but, uh, yeah, Big Bash is my favourite time of the year. Yeah. Uh, love putting on the, the lime green and black for me at Sydney Thunder. Obviously, last year probably wasn't our greatest season, but primed and ready to go for this summer. Yeah, it was a tough year for both women's clubs, uh, seven and eight on the, the ladder. I think Thunder was seven, six is eight. Yeah, we, we, got, <laughs> we got over them. <laughs> <laughs> have there been many, I guess, what have you reflected on, I guess, the Thunder, Sammy? <clears throat> quite hard when you go from hero to zero. You win a tournament in mm. WBBL 06 and then you don't make the finals in 07. pretty tough. But our squad was quite different. Ray Chains not captaining us was, was quite hard. She's a, an amazing leader. Her tactical nous was probably something we missed. No uh, disservice to what Hannah did for us. She's a great leader and a young leader, but still a lot to learn in that space, especially in T20 competitions like that. You've got to think on the run. And I think Rach has that in spades. She's amazing at what she does. So I think having her back will, will change a lot of things for us. And everyone's one year older, one year stronger, one year fitter. We're going to learn a lot from last summer and hopefully go out and have some big performances this year. You talked about a bit of a fall from grace last year, not making the finals. D- didn't you win the B- WBBL three years in a row? I do have that in my back pocket and yeah. I'm very, very lucky to hold that record. <laughs> so, so you won twice with the Heat and then you came down and won at North Sydney Oval beating the Stars for the Thunder. What's it like winning the WBBL? Yeah, it's pretty cool and you can f- fit a few drinks in that cup, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's, it's like I said, that's a piece of history in my back pocket that no one else has done yet, so three titles in a row. But that doesn't happen without some great teams and some great players that I've played alongside, like Kirby Short as a leader for the Brisbane Heat. She... Yeah, a great friend of mine and she's a great leader and taught me a lot about leadership. Um, and then to come down with the Thunder and have Rach as my captain. Yeah, I, those two players stand out for me so that have helped to that success. Jade, what, what, what do you think, what are you planning for in the WBBL? I think you've played four games for the Sixers. What's your aim for this WBBL? Personally, I think um, as my bowling improves, um, hopefully getting a bit more games um, for the Sixers, playing in the pink or the magenta. But yeah, I guess more games and yeah, getting around the group a bit more and um, yeah, just 
kind of is it nerve wracking being in that star studded lineup? You know, you got Perry and Healy at the top, and yeah. all the others coming in. What's yeah. it like for you? Yeah, well, certainly they're great leaders, um, especially Midge Alyssa. She's um, presented me with my WNCL playing cap down in Victoria. But yeah, Midge and Pez are certainly yeah icons of the game, and yeah, really like. Yeah, good to look up to, I guess. I mean, do you pinch yourself sometimes when like, you walk out on the field with Elise Perry? I mean, she made a debut for Australia <laughs> when you were probably five or six. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so cool just seeing, like, just being on the same field as them, just seeing them at cover. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's really exciting. Great. Well, Jade, Sammy, Joe, thank you so much for coming on Cricket Unfiltered. It was great to speak to you both. And best of luck for season 22-23. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for having much. us. Cheers. All right, my day in cricket New South Wales continues. I'm now with the head of female cricket, Leah Poulton. Leah, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Your partner, Rachel Haynes, has been on the podcast a couple of times. I've had interviewed her a couple of times on the show. She's a wonderful player in person. How's it going with your new child? Yeah, it's going fantastic. He is 11 and a half months old well, now. Hugo? Hugo, yep, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, Hugo is 11 and a half months now. So, uh, getting himself into all sorts of trouble, trying to stand up and walk and uh, lots of things that uh, give us heart attacks every day. So, uh, yeah, it's lots of fun. <laughs> I bet. So, so, head of female cricket at New South Wales, how's the job going? It's going great, yeah. Uh, so, it's a big role here. I look after all our elite program so um, from a WNCL perspective that's New South Wales Breakers, WBBL, the Sydney Sixers, Sydney Thunder uh, and then our pathway program so overseeing sort of the next uh, generation of stars so it's it's a big role but I'm absolutely loving it. And how does it compare you know to being a player where you you know played 90 times for Australia and now you've you're in administration how's the transition been? Uh, it's been a, a, a probably a slow transition in terms of lots of different roles. Um, so when I was a player, I was a school teacher. I taught PE and then when I retired from cricket, I actually got my first role as an administrator here at Cricket New South Wales looking after our pathway and then kind of ventured into the coaching space and a um, few different roles there. Went to Cricket Australia for a stint and then found my way back. So... Being a player feels like a really long time ago, another lifetime in fact, but lots of little experiences and lots of little roles to sort of get me to this point now, which um, yeah, I draw upon every day uh, in my current position. Yeah, and what are some of the challenges um, for your role at the moment? I mean, women's sport in general is professionalising at a, at a really rapid pace. Um, so we're really proud of the role that we're playing in terms of a leadership position in that professionalisation of women's sport. But with anything, you know, as we change and as we grow, we've just got to make sure that, you know, we keep pace and, and make sure that the programs and the support that we're offering our athletes is, is right for them. So some of the challenges, I guess, are, you know, working in with the players' uh, life outside of sport. So, you know, whether it's their university or their jobs or making sure they've got time, you know, to connect with family and friends and have a whole life. Um, that's probably top of the list at the moment to make sure that we're doing our best to, to support them as people, not just as athletes. And, and is that because of the extra demands now on women's cricketers? The program's changed. I mean, from back when I played, um, sound like a, a dinosaur back in my day, but um, <laughs> yeah, the, the game and, and the... Too the, late you said it. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> Better when I say it than someone else. <laughs> Do you and Rachel ever argue about this? <laughs> 
we actually was chatting about this the other day. Like I, I was sort of saying to her, you know, is it harder to score runs now or, or back then? Um, and she gave me the right answer and said, oh, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> the, the program that we have now compared to a few years back is just unrecognisable. Um, so the support the girls get, the different sort of experts that they've got to draw upon, you know, that they, they really do have access to complete full-time professional program. But also making sure that, you know, there's balance in everything you do. You know, you can't come in here and train sort of eight, nine hours a day because you're not going to get the best out of yourself anyway. So I think balance is a a word that we use a lot around here and and understanding how that changes for each individual athlete at different ages and stages. I mean, you mentioned you had Jade Allen in here earlier. So Jade's one of our youngest athletes, but then we've got athletes like Erin Burns who, you know, still works as a physiotherapist and has a family. She's got a young son as well. So what balance looks like to Jade? compared to Erin is completely different and we've got to make sure our program's tailored for that. It's a very young breaker squad as well so you you, know, you would have to be educating and helping these people you know find their feet. Yeah that's right so we do have a, a really young really exciting cohort of young players um, coming through at the moment um, so we've got a we're probably at a, at a point where we can have a squad at the moment where we can build on you know I was thinking about this the other day we could, we could almost build upon this squad for the next decade and that's really cool you know to have a a group of players like that who could go through together and create something special. But yeah, we, we that, that sort of um, youth, you know, it, it creates an environment that's exciting day to day, but it's also a real learning environment. So we're really fortunate that we've got Gavin Twining as a head coach, who was a PE teacher for a really long time. Gavin was hired because he's a great educator. And so we feel like we've got the right man for our program at the moment. And and when you say great educator, is, is that is that a lot around communication? Yeah, 100%. Gav's an excellent communicator. But it's just the environment that he sets up that's really conducive to learning. Um, so it's not about telling. It's about letting the girls fail, letting them explore, letting them try different things. Because they're still learning about what sort of athletes they want to be and, and who they are as an athlete. Uh, and we're lucky that Gav's able to set up environments that l- really allow that sort of exploring and, and learning as they go, which, you know, will set them up really well for the future. Yeah, most certainly. Um, I, I think one of the issues in women's cricket that's bubbling away is the grassroots level keeping pace with the professional level. So I've was been lucky enough to commentate on some women's New South Wales Premier cricket, and it, it feels to me that the state, and professionalisation is happening really quickly at the top end and the grassroots and the clubs now have to start to, you know, that needs to improve in terms of more players coming to the game and, you know, the pathways need to sort of fill out a bit. Yeah, there seems to be a big gap between the sort of state and then the next level down. Yeah, I think you're right in terms of the, the pace at which the elite game has professionalised and it's almost, it's almost happened not overnight. I mean, it's been happening for a really long time. You know, we're really fortunate that the generations that you know came before me even played a really significant role in that. But just over the last 10 years, um, you know, a lot has changed. What we're really fortunate with is that there's a huge swell of young girls taking up cricket entry-level competitions in New South Wales are absolutely you know, humming along, um, which we're really excited about. But you're right, we've got to ensure that there's no gaps in our pathway. So that entry level's thriving, the elite level's thriving, and then premier cricket and club cricket, you know, that's the bedrock of cricket as a sport. You know, it's where people learn their craft and have majority of their experiences. So we've got to um, keep pace with that and make sure that, you know, we, we create really great programs that 
people want to be a part of week in, week out with their clubs. Um, we've got some good initiatives happening in Sydney, sorry, New South Wales Premier Cricket at the moment to ensure that clubs are places where people want to spend a lot of their time and the formats that we're playing and the, the type of cricket that's being offered is in line with what people expect. So we're certainly cognizant of the role that, that Premier Cricket plays and, and clubs play in, within our pathway. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm the last couple of years, the first time I've commentated on um, New South Wales Women's Premier Cricket, and I like the mixture of formats. Now there's some 50-over games and some 20-over games. So it's just, I guess, the clubs the clubs themselves growing a little bit, which is a real challenge because it's hard enough for any cricket club or any sporting club to attract players at the moment. Yeah, it is, but the the landscape that we're in with women's cricket is everybody wants to be a part of it, um, which is exciting. So every year we get more and more clubs come to us and say, okay, how do I get involved in this? You know, How do I enter a women's team? Clubs who have had men's, probably men's clubs for a really long time, they see the, the value in having women's teams, um, so they want to be involved. Being a volunteer and operating in a volunteer space is difficult you know, across mm. all sports at the moment, everyone, everybody's stretched um, just with their general life, uh, let alone investing lots of time in a volunteer space. So um, we've got to find ways to keep supporting volunteers because of the awesome work they do. But certainly I've felt, particularly over the last few years, that people want to be involved in women's cricket. They're excited about it. Yeah, definitely. Are there any issues in women's cricket you're particularly passionate about? Uh, I wouldn't say issues. I'm certainly passionate about the role that that women play in cricket um, and that's not just on the field. I think a lot of focus and attention gets on you know, female athletes but I'm really passionate about the role that women can play across all roles. Obviously female administration is one that I'm in at the moment which I'm passionate about. Female umpires, female coaches. Female coaches have a lot to offer the game. So I think that's probably my area of passion, I guess, is just making sure that we have great opportunities for females in, in all areas. There's a new initiative taking place, isn't there, to get more women into administrative positions in cricket? Uh, we have you know, a number of initiatives that we've got to make sure that it, exactly what I'm talking about, that there's um, opportunities for women across all different platforms. So one of the ones that we have here at the moment is what we call our Female Talent Accelerator, which is for female coaches. Um, so we've got a number of female coaches who come in, they work across our pathway, our elite programs, both male and female. We send them out to, to learn off excellent coaches across all different sports. So we've got some great relationships with the precinct that we're in here at Sydney Olympic Park. Um, GWS, aren't they out here? Yeah, GWS are here. Um, we've got N-Swiss up the road. So obviously all the Olympic sports and there's some fantastic coaches operating in that space as well. So yeah, that, that's a, a little program that we've got running at the moment where we're looking to fast track some female coaches with high potential. So yeah, lots of little initiatives like that, I think, show, you know, we, we see the value and hopefully we're, we're doing something about it. It's a great organisation to be a part of because it's built upon such success. Do you feel any pressure then to like, okay, the breakers need to like start winning again? Like, is there any anything like that in for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, we're involved in elite sport because we want to win. You know, we want to do well. And I, uh, I think um, our history is something that we're really proud of and, and we definitely want to make sure that we're a part of that great history doesn't sort of stop with us <laughs> yeah I wouldn't say it's pressure but we, we certainly know where we come from and you know where New South Wales women's cricket's been and the girls are really proud of that and, and want to be a part of it yep and how do you navigate relationships between cricketers 
when they're in the same team and stuff. Oh, I think that's the same as any workplace. You know, we're a workplace. Mm. Um, so, you know, if there's people in a relationship, then it would come across the same standards as any workplace, you know. So as long as they're professional in their line of work, I don't see a problem with it. It's, it's mainly are they professional, are they doing their job, are they operating in rhyme with our organisational standards? And if the answer is yes to those things, then, you know, what they do in their private life is their private life. Absolutely. I was reading Alex Blackwell's book and, you know, she deals with those kind of issues in a really, really good book. And, um, you know, I just think it's sometimes people don't talk about it, like they're afraid to talk about it. Yeah. But, but it is, as you say, just like any other workplace, there's rules around certain things and behavioural standards and that's it. Yeah, well, I think when you see sport as a workplace, then it becomes you know, it makes sense, right? It's, you know, how, how many mm. people meet their partner at work? All the um, time. Yeah, that does happen all the time. But it's how they operate, you know, once they're in that relationship that matters. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a challenge, I think, as cricket becomes more and more professionalised. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's a challenge. I, th- I think it's up to the organisation to sort of outline what their standards are and what the sort of codes of behaviour are and make sure that they're really explicit and people understand, you know, what that looks like. So I think it um, the duty there relies within the organisation to make sure that, you know, things are spelt out nice and clearly and everybody understands them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and, and last question before I let you go, I mean, this young breakers side, they look a lot of fun to watch. They, they're always laughing, having a good time. You must be really excited to work with them, over, as you say, over the next 10 years. Yeah, I love being around the group. You know, they've got this huge enthusiasm for the game and they can't help but so every time I'm around them, it reminds me of why I love the sport. You know, they're, they're always just having um, a blast together. They're enjoying each other's company. And um, in the end, that you know, that's why everybody started in team sports is because you want to be a part of an environment like that. So, yeah, they're certainly a, a group who enjoys each other's company and uh, has a lot of fun. And, yeah, that's great for me. It makes me feel young again. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, you have a huge job ahead of you because women's cricket is accelerating so fast. So I can't wait to see um, how things develop over the next few years. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to my Inside Cricket New South Wales special. And thanks to Cricket New South Wales for having me. Thanks to James Muggeridge, my assistant, who put this episode together. And we'll be back next week with a regular Cricket Unfiltered. Paul Dennett will be joining me. Hopefully, Jaleesa will be available. And who knows who else will appear. Thanks again. See you next week. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.